This is the Journal of American History podcast for September 2010. Hello, this is John Nieto Phillips, Associate Editor of the Journal of American History and Associate Professor of History and Latino Studies at Indiana University, Bloomington. We'd like to welcome to the podcast Virginia sanchez Corol, Professor Emerita of History at Brooklyn College and a participant in the Latino Interchange published in the September 2010 issue of the JAH. That interchange can be found online at www.journalofamericanhistory.org. Professor sanchez Corol is the author of what is widely considered a classic Latino history monograph, From Colonia to Community, The History of Puerto Ricans in New York City, first published in 1983. In 2006, she co-edited with Professor Vicky Ruiz, Latinas in the United States, a historical encyclopedia. Professor sanchez Corol, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's really my honor. Professor sanchez Corol, I was wondering if you would share with us how you first came to be interested in Latino history. How I came into the field of history was by mistake. Well, first of all, my entire college education was kind of a mistake, haphazard. Uh, I grew up in a family of first-generation Puerto Rican migrants in New York City. I was a child of the Depression. We moved to Brooklyn when I was about 16 years old, and when I was ready to graduate from high school, I realized that I didn't want to leave. And I went downstairs to the guidance counselors in tears, asking, well, is this it? Is this the end of it? I, 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 want, to, I want to read more. I want to study more. And I want to go to college. And they kind of looked down their noses at me, thinking this is the most unlikely person to go on to college. But then again, well, there is that uh, city university. That is, there is that Brooklyn College that is located in the borough. And so I went to Brooklyn College, found it on my own, uh, uh, walked down the street where the college was located, and to my surprise, it was the most beautiful college that I had ever seen. And so that was the beginning of the journey. I enrolled, became an English major, taught high school English for a few years, and when my children were little, decided I wanted to go back to school. And as it turned out, I was now living near Stony Brook, and the university had a wonderful history department, and I had to go to school part-time because I was the mother of small children, and they accepted me. My desire to go back to school was a very, very concrete one. It was the fact that I had two small children who were half Puerto Rican and half other, and who were going to be raised in an environment where they had absolutely nothing to do with their culture. And I thought that if I could write something for them about their culture, I could maintain that continuity with my, with my own roots. And that's how I ended up writing From Colonia to Community. I was wondering if you could tell us how scholars Puerto Ricans in the United States has evolved since the publication of your book in 1983. Well, since the publication of Colonia to Community, the scholarship has, has just evolved in leaps and bounds, and, and, and that has been really very exciting. 
What I thought was going to happen was that once I wrote Colonia to Community, other historians would, would, would come forward and, and really begin to analyze and reconstruct and continue the narrative that I was trying to develop in Colonia to Community, and they did not. We had, up until recently, a very, very small group of historians who have concentrated on New York Puerto Rican history. But anthropologists, sociologists, other social scientists uh, began to develop the field in much more sophisticated ways. And it isn't until now, there are now three history books on Puerto Ricans in New York City. So that the evolution in terms of history has not been as great as I hoped it would be. But nonetheless, the evolution of the field has done very, very well. And so that made me very happy. Since the 1980s, we've seen the establishment of Latino studies programs at universities throughout the United States, as well as the expansion of Latino scholarship. What role has Puerto Rican history played in the development of Latino history as a field? For a long time, it played a very, very minor role. The reason was that most of the scholarship was coming out of the Southwest, and it was mostly being done by young Chicano historians, uh, Mexican-Americans, who had been Latin Americanists and who now were devoting more time to uncovering uh, the historical past of Chicanos and Mexican-Americans in the United States. And for a very long time, in order to, to develop the field itself, you had to first develop your own particular area of expertise. And so there was very little communication. There was very little articulation between what was happening in, uh, in Chicano Mexican American history and what was happening in Puerto Rican history, not to mention Cuban history, which was, that was even less in, uh, visible. The, these three, three groups are very important. I mention them because of the longevity that they have had in the United States. Therefore, their history as a Latino group goes way, way back. I mean, it is embedded into the roots of this country in ways that, are, that, that we're just beginning to uncover. So for a very long time, there was absolutely, if you picked up a book on, on it, it was not Latinos either, John, it was Mexican-Americans. If you picked up a book on Mexican-Americans or Chicano history, there would be no room, there would be no mention. And that was the way it should be. Because before you get to embrace a broad field like Latino studies, you have to be very sure and secure in your own grounding so that you come to a broader field with an equal playing field. Like anybody beginning to write about Latino studies would have a snippet about Puerto Ricans and usually inaccurate. Well, that's because that was not their, their area of expertise and there was not enough collaboration to bring that knowledge into, into the more general fold. Yeah, and on that note, I was wondering if you can uh, describe a little bit some of the challenges and opportunities of trying to approach the multiplicity of historical narratives among Latino groups and uh, to integrate them into a broad either comparative or other kind of national and transnational framework. What I found was the best way to do it was through collaboration. And unfortunately, within the field of the then emerging Latino studies, women's history was, was still marginal. 
And so uh, Vicki and I joke about going to conferences uh, throughout, you know, in the professional organizations like American Studies or Organization of American Historians. And, and, uh, and sometimes she and I would be the only two Latinas there. And so we very, very quickly became allies and, and, and friends and supportive of one another's work because what we realized was that so many of the themes were the same. Uh, so much of the history was the same, but it still had its own nuances. And you could not, to my way of thinking, I never wanted to dilute somebody else's historical experience. I wanted to, I wanted it to stand in its, in its fullness alongside, never, never subsumed, uh, and never, and never larger than. But, um, and so she and I began to do a lot of collaborative work together. That led to our working on the encyclopedia. And we were very, very much aware that we wanted it to be representative. We wanted it to be inclusive. We wanted it to be women's history. And that we were bringing something to, to the scholarship that had never been done before. And we wanted to do it our way. And our way meant that it had to be accessible to a general audience as well as a scholarly audience because we felt responsible to our communities. Can you elaborate on that? How do you make Latino history accessible to a broader audience of historians as well as to the general public? Well, it's an uphill battle, you know. But I think at this point in time, I have a, I, I'm at a point where, where I have the luxury to do it. I think that it has to go beyond the classroom. I think that Latino history, Latino studies on the collegiate level is super important. But I think it also has to make an impact beyond the classroom. If it stays in the curriculum, if it stays in the realm of academia, it's going to affect only that small portion of the population that can get a college education and that can get involved with, with uh, academia, a reading public, a public whose mind is opened uh, to new ideas. You have to go beyond that. You have to make sure that you work with local presses. You've got to work with media. You've got to write accessible material. You've got to find a way. I've, I love collaboration because it brings in so, it's so much richness and so many venues for dissemination. You've got to find ways to bring it into the public mind. And, uh, and, and that's why I'm, I'm delighted to see programs like Skip Gates' program now on, uh, on, on genetics, his upcoming program on Lincoln. I was delighted to work with Rick Burns on his New York series, only because when you're at the table, the conversation changes. And I was able to introduce some ideas that, while they may not have taken root then, have influenced his work since. And I think that's super important. Right now I'm looking at children's literature. I'm terrified. I have absolutely no way of knowing whether I could write a, a book for children or not. But there's an opportunity to do so. And that means there's an opportunity to get this information into the hands of children at a very early age. Many scholars have very strong social and political commitments as well as scholarly and professional ones. Can you speak to the dilemma that many Latino scholars face in negotiating those commitments? 
there is a dilemma there. There definitely is a, there's a conflict. There's a conflict. As a historian, you are supposed to produce uh, historical works, scholarly works, academic works that are recognized as such by the academic, by the profession. These are the things that you need for your tenure, for your promotions. This is what you need for writing your books to become an authority on the area that you're studying. That's a given. We, we understand that. But so many of our scholars in Latino studies have gone into the field precisely because, and mostly I'm talking about the, um, the pioneering scholars, because there was this sense of having to give back to your community, having to give to your community, taking a political stand. And, uh, and, and the fact was that we lost many of them because when you, when you give your time to political causes, you don't then comply with the academic responsibilities that you have. Young scholars today, I think, are doing a much better job of blending the two. Their work, by its very nature, is political work. It's, it's, it does give back to the community. It creates this, this historical narrative that shows Latino inclusion, Latino recognition uh, in, in the making of this particular society, and now in this transnational element that we're entering. Uh, I don't know that that's, that's very clear, but, but I don't think that that conflict is resolved, and I, I really... It's it's difficult. I think you've got to take that on a case-by-case basis. Given the current political climate surrounding immigration and even birthright citizenship, this seems like a particularly compelling time to be doing work on Latinos. What role do you see Latino scholars playing in public debates on immigration? Well, I think that the role that they're playing is not big enough. It's, it's certainly not visible enough. But the truth of the matter is that no Latino scholars are called upon as punt to, to talk about their issues. It's, it's few and it's, it's rare. And, uh, and that's what has to change. One of the things I think after looking at this field and being in it for, you know, for, for a few, few uh, decades, see, I think that those changes of ideas have to begin so early so that it is not unusual to have Latino pundits come and talk about the issues. Let me clarify that a little. I remember when, when my kids were little and they were going to a uh, pretty um, non-diverse school <laughs> where the curriculum was true, was non-diverse, uh, where uh, they grew up in a suburb where issues of race and class were never discussed. And I remember the first time that a textbook appeared with a story about a black woman uh, it may have been Sojourner Truth, you know, uh, a, a black woman leader in history. And the reactions of the white parents were, who is this? I never heard of this person before. It stuck out because it was so rare that this textbook would have an essay about a black woman. Today, that is so common. That is so ordinary. That is so not, it is so usual. It, 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 now, when you look at textbooks, if there is not diversity, that raises the flag. So that, that's a leap year in, in thinking processes. If it becomes a natural occurrence, then Latino pundits are going to be called upon to raise issues. They're going to be visible. They're going to have that recognition as figures of authority. 
It, it seems I think you made a very interesting point, which is that in public conversations about immigration and debates about immigration, it's um, not often that we see Latinos represented in the debate, Latinos themselves as experts on uh, issues of immigration, and yet they are so clearly implicated in the subject. That's but right. I'm wondering if you can uh, make any parallels with conversations about race and the extent to which Latinos are present or absent and the extent to which the black-white binary continues to inform or not current debates about race and how debates might be complicated by the presence of Latinos. I think that that debate or those issues are now being raised in the literature. I think that particular areas like cultural studies and some histories have gone to deal uh, openly with the black-white binary, but it hasn't made any impact beyond that. So I'm excited that I'm seeing it and reading it in the literature, but I haven't, I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to have an impact because the rationale and the documentation for this is so solid. It's so there. And then the implications for growing up in a country where that has been so strictly enforced it permeates society. I haven't seen it. I'm hoping that, that it's going to happen. What trends do you see shaping Latino history and Latino studies more broadly as an interdisciplinary endeavor? One of the things that I find is super interesting is the transnational, whole issue of transnational. Uh, that has not. That, nobody's talking about that. That hasn't permeated the American mind yet. But the idea that we have created a literature that is a transnational literature and yet is an American literature, we are creating a transnational histories every day of our lives through migration, immigration, through dual uh, loyalties, through dual citizenship, through submissions to the home country. I mean, this is beyond the formal political interventions that we've seen in the, in, in the past. This is going on at a grassroots level. I'm struck by the fact that, okay, if we're going to really talk about transnational, we're talking global. We're really going into global. And we're looking at uh, country of origin history as significantly as we're looking at American history for, uh, as Latinos in American history. Uh, we're, we're saying something that we said at the very, very beginning of the field, which was that the reality for Latinos was that they were both American and Latin American, that they felt uh, uh, dual loyalties to, to both traditional customs and the new customs, that they were coalescing and forming together something new that was going to be neither one nor the other, but a combination of both. And I'm seeing this with, with transnational studies. The work of the Recovery Project, for example, is exemplary in this. It's fabulous. Over 35 books published, bilingual books, books that were originally written in Spanish that have been translated to English that are part of Latino literature. You're talking about the Recovering the U.S. Hispanic Literary Heritage Project based at the University of Houston and headed by Nicholas Canelos. Yes, it is. It is. I think that that's, that's a perfect, perfect example to see the direction of the work. And sometimes I think literature and anthropology people are so so far ahead of historians because we have to we have to figure out the ways to to work the same concepts into into our our history. But I think that we're I think we're doing it. If a colleague asked you to 
help them understand how to integrate Latino history into their U.S. history survey class, what kinds of suggestions would you have for them? I would uh, tell them more or less what I told Rick Burns many years ago when he was working on the New York documentary series. As we were going through the history of New York, you know, the standard history, uh, what what we know, what's written, what's accepted, uh, the history of the city, at intervals of time that I felt were significant, I would stop him and say, okay, so New York has this huge blackout. Okay, so people are, are coming together. What are the Latinos doing? What are the blacks doing? What are the Asians doing? How do they fit into the larger picture? How do you recognize their being there? Uh, how do you recognize what they did? How do you incorporate it into the broader history? It's bringing that bottom history up and not letting it come to the surface, integrating it into mainstream. And if that is done, I think, best by looking at the themes that emerge from uh, from any particular history. And, you know, we don't, we don't, it isn't even a question of integrating Latino history into, into American history or Latin American history. It's also integrating into Latino history, class and, and color and gender. It's also, it's a, it's a very, very broad integration process without losing sight of the theme and I mean that's how that's how I've done it in my classes. That's how I see now American historians doing it. Scholars who were not trained in Latino studies are looking for the ways. How can I? What film can I show? Where can I bring this this history in? And I think that's a beginning. And I think that pretty soon we'll be able to look at the themes in American history much more broadly. I want to ask you about pipeline issues. I wonder if you can describe to us changes in the academy with regard to the representation of Latinas and Latinos, both in the historical profession and more broadly. The changes are enormous. The changes have been enormous. There has been a recognition and an acceptance of the work that we do. There's been more integration than one was led to believe. And you know how you can just pick up any program of any of our professional organizations and look at the topics that are now being discussed. We still don't have Latino scholars serving in elected positions or even in appointed positions in the numbers that we would like, but the representation, I think, is there. That's a big difference. That was not there when Vicky and I first began our, our careers. With the emergence of Latino studies programs across the country, what kinds of changes have you seen in the pipeline on both the undergraduate and graduate levels? Latino studies is, is not a support program. It is an academic program. People think that bringing Latino students into the university automatically means that they're going to end up as majors in Latino studies. That's not the point. The point is that we want these young people to come into the university because we want them to assume leadership positions with good academic backgrounds. If they happen to come through our courses and if they happen to to encounter the, the wow factor that so many of our students <laughs> encounter in our courses, that's going to make them all the better in the positions that they're going to occupy in running this country in the future. Professor sanchez Cotrol, I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. 
This podcast is produced by the Journal of American History, the leading scholarly publication in the Journal of Record in American History. Visit us on the web at www.journalofamericanhistory.org. Please support the journal by becoming a member of the Organization of American Historians. Subscribe online at www.oah.org, and you will receive a printed copy of the journal four times a year. Thank you for listening to the Journal of American History podcast. Join us in November for our next program. If you have any comments or suggestions, please email us at jahcast at oah.org.